You're listening to the first episode of Friend of the Court, a podcast series that explores important constitutional cases in India's judicial history. Brought to you by the Anil Divan Foundation in partnership with the School of Law, Governance and Citizenship at Ambedkar University, Delhi. I'm your host, Raghu Karnad. I'm a journalist and writer, and I'll be taking you through the ins and outs of the groundbreaking work of Anil Divan, Supreme Court lawyer and Amicus Curie, or friend of the court. This is Doordarshan News. Good evening and welcome in the headlines. Kain Hawala Khan desh ka pehla aisa mamla hai jisne kai rajnitik dalon ke choti ke netaon ko bhrashtachar ke katkare mein khada kar diya hai. This is the makings of a massive corruption scandal. We begin this series with the Jain Hawala case, formerly known as Vineet Narayan versus Union of India. At the heart of the case are scandalous diaries that made their way to the Supreme Court and triggered a political crisis. This scandal broke at a time when political uncertainty loomed large in the country. It set off what the BBC has described as the biggest political earthquake to have hit independent India. Journalists and lawyers conveyed the diaries from a dusty corner in the CBI's Malkana or storeroom to the center of a political drama that played out in the highest court of the land. This was one of the first high-profile corruption cases heard as a public interest litigation by the Supreme Court. It presented an opportunity for reining in the corruption and abuse of power that had spread throughout Indian politics by the 1990s. The former Indian Prime Minister Rajiv Gandhi has been assassinated. He and at least 14 other people were killed by a bomb. The country hadn't seen a stable government since Rajiv Gandhi's tenure ended in 1989. The coalition government that followed was led by two prime ministers before it fell in early 1991. Rajiv Gandhi was hoping to stage a strong electoral comeback but he was assassinated while campaigning in Tamil Nadu. His party, the Congress, still emerged as the single largest party in the 1991 elections and formed a minority government under the prime ministership of P.V. Narsimha Rao. The Narsimha Rao government inherited multiple problems, including a major balance of payments crisis that led to sweeping economic reforms. And there were other domestic issues, such as the insurgency in Kashmir, reservation politics, and a rising Hindutva movement. On top of all of this, the diaries which named a number of Rao's colleagues from his cabinet and party, threatened to delegitimize his government if they ever became public. Whom did these diaries belong to? And what were the consequences of their discovery? We find out in this episode. Vineet 
It was 1991. The violent insurgency in Kashmir was approaching its peak, and a new terror organization called the Hizbul Mujahideen was moving into the forefront. Deep divisions between the groups have sharpened with the reported killings of pro-independent JKLF cadres by pro-Pakistan Hizbul Mujahideen, the strongest militant outfit in Kashmir today. More than any separatist group before it, the Hizbul Mujahideen was fighting for Kashmir's unification with Pakistan and was fueled by foreign funds. To aid the efforts of the army to combat militancy in the valley, the CBI had been investigating these terror financing networks. Here is Sanjay Kapoor, who in 1991 was a young journalist with a Bombay tabloid newspaper called Blitz. He played a critical role in breaking the Jain Havala case and would become the first to report on the story. They were trying to ascertain how does the terror gets funded. And it's an old inquiry. Where was the money coming in to buy arms or to even feed protests? And some people were arrested in Delhi. A Mr. Gori, a student from JNU. And then they finally found that the money they got was from a Hawala dealer. In late March of 1991, the CBI arrested an alleged Hezbollah operative, Ashfaq Hussain Lon, and the student Shahabuddin Ghori, who was a middleman, as well as a Hawala agent, Shambhu Dayal Sharma. Hawala is a parallel banking system in the black economy, used to move funds from one entity to another without scrutiny. During his interrogation, Sharma gave up the names of 25 people to whom he had delivered various Hawala amounts, including rupees 94 lakhs to a Delhi resident, J.K. Jain. Acting on this information, on May 3, 1991, the CBI raided J.K. Jain's farmhouse in South Delhi. Here's Kapoor telling us what they found. There they found two diaries, a lot of cash, a lot of foreign exchange, some Indra Vikas, but the time of the raid when it took place was the 3rd of May. 3rd of May, uh, this is about 19 days before Rajiv Gandhi was assassinated, when, you know, the entire course of politics and election changed. The man in charge of the CBI investigation was a deputy inspector general named O.P. Sharma. Sharma's team marked the diaries with their signatures as a way to verify them as evidence. When they interrogated J.K. Jain the next day, he said that he maintained these accounts for his employers. The powerful Jain brothers, the owners of Bhilai Engineering Corporation. J.K. Jain told Sharma's team that the diaries recorded financial transactions which took place between 1988 and 1991. The numbers against each initial appeared to be funds transferred by the Jains to politicians, bureaucrats, and heads of public sector undertakings. The total sum recorded was 65 crore rupees, which today would amount to 500 crore. O.P. Sharma's investigation report had also stated that the cash found on the premises was unaccounted for and that the Jains could be booked under the Foreign Exchange Regulation Act. If convicted, the public servants involved could be looking at imprisonment for anywhere between six months and seven years. (laughs) 
The story of the Jain brothers is a story of enterprise, intrigue and corruption that is also emblematic of post-independence India. They originally hailed from the industrial town of Bilai in Chhattisgarh, then part of Madhya Pradesh, where they ran a business in engineering works. Of the four brothers, two moved to Delhi to look after the political interests of the family. Remember, this was in the late 1980s when India was still under the License Raj, a system that made it extremely hard to run businesses without patronage from bureaucrats and politicians. Surendra Kumar Jain, the youngest of the four brothers, was a man of ambition and wanted to emulate the success of India's newly minted industrialist, Dhirubhai Ambani. The younger Jain brothers, who were sent to Delhi to advance the family's business interests, were rubbing shoulders with the who's who of the political class, often at lavish parties that they hosted at their South Delhi farmhouse. The Jains became influential through lucrative contracts from Coal India, alongside donations and gifts that they gave to politicians. Professor Arun Kumar, who has done extensive research on the black economy in the 1990s, helps us understand the informal license Raj system. They cornered licenses. And how did they corner licenses? Through cronyism. So cronyism in India started developing in the 50s and the 60s. It grew further in the 70s. So this Hawala channels and payment to the politicians was an important part of developing this cronyism. You know, that's why I say that it's the triad which underlies the black economy. Because the triad consisted of the political class, the, the business class, and it co-opted the bureaucracy and the judiciary and the police in it. The invisible link between the aspirational business classes and the political class was that of finance, which political scientist Stanley Kochanek calls briefcase politics. The diaries had blown the lid off of this network of black money bribery and the role of Havala brokers in moving cash. Arun Kumar explains the Havala system. I think for a Havala operator, there's no terrorist. There's no politician. It's just that he's transacting through a business channel, you know, just like a bank. If it doesn't know what your antecedents are, it's just transferring money. And it can be used by a terrorist, it can be used by a politician, it can be used by a teacher in a university. So I think Jain probably did not care who was transferring money through him. So it's not that he was involved in any terrorist activity. So Hawala would transfer anybody's money. And I think, you know, terrorists do use Hawala channels to transfer money internationally. They use the process of layering to transfer money from one to the other. And it's very difficult to track it, you know, because these are all shell companies which are closed down. So, you know, one to the second to the third. And beyond that, it usually becomes very difficult unless there's a persistence. The source of funds itself was not as big an issue as the fact that large sums of money were being received by those in the political establishment. The central issue was that corruption had crept into public life by way of deeply criminalized politics. Arun Kumar elaborates on this point. When I was writing my Black Economy book in uh, 1998, I interviewed 14 members of parliament who were successful in the 1998 elections, you know. And these were very good friends, including a former prime minister and so on. And they all said that we know that we started the day with a lie. 
Now, after I said that, a lot of other people have also said, because, you know, we exceeded the election expenditure limit. And how did we finance the funds? And they said one of the important component was the executive, the corrupt policemen, the corrupt bureaucrats, the corrupt judges, because there was a quid pro quo involved. They knew that once we get to power, we'd give them, you know, favorable postings, etc. So that's how they got an excess. And the businessmen were involved, local businessmen were involved, and the big businessmen were involved. In fact, uh, one person who fought from Bihar uh, told me that one of the big business houses had a liaison officer in Patna. So, you know, there was that kind of liaising between the politician and the businessman and the executive, you know. So this triad begins to form at the time of elections. And, you know, B.V. Kumar's book, which came later in 1990, it said that this criminal element started entering the triad after 1983. And why did he pin 1983? He said that is the time that, you know, a lot of smugglers were given amnesty. So Haji Mastan and others started entering politics. So what was the triad was outside of the criminal elements until 83. But then the criminal element started entering. So either the businessman was a criminal or the politician was a criminal. So the criminals started directly entering, uh, you know, the nexus. So, you know, the nature of Indian politics changed. And that's why large number of criminal cases are there against politicians, against the legislators and so on. So criminalization of politics took place as a result of this. This nexus between politics, business and the criminal underworld might never have been exposed at all if the CBI hadn't discovered the Jain Havala diaries while investigating a terror financing network. Around this time, Sanjay Kapoor, the journalist with Blitz, heard murmurs about the CBI's discovery. Kapoor tells us how he found out about these transactions. After the elections, uh, when Rajiv Gandhi died, there was a big gap. Uh, subsequently, the election campaign started and then P.V. Narasimha Rao came to power. I mean, once the government was in place, the turmoil in a certain way remained. And I was uh, meeting my usual contacts in the government and in the CBI and others. And I was told by a very senior minister that time in the government that uh, there is a case on which the CBI is sitting and because it involves many politicians and many bureaucrats. So what I did, I began to uh, get a corroboration. I went to the director of information in the CBI, told me about the existence of the diary. So there was one confirmation that I get that there was indeed such a case that was happened. I also checked out with him whether anybody had uh, got to know about it. And I was told that firstly, nobody knew about the raid. Nobody knew about the existence of the diary. And also nobody would have the guts to carry a report like that. So in a certain way, the report continued to be buried in what is called the Malkana or the CBI. The reason the report was buried was this. Just a month after the raid, O.P. Sharma, the man in charge of the investigation, was himself accused of taking bribes from the Jain brothers. He was arrested in June of 1991 and charged with having accepted 19 lakhs from SK Jain. The documents which recorded the Jain's dealings with politicians and bureaucrats were sealed as evidence in the bribery case against Sharma. I got in touch with Mr. O.P. Sharma also. 
so op sharma was very unwell and he seemed to be totally uh, disturbed by how the circumstances had panned out for him he had been raided by the cbi he was accused of uh, accepting bribe and you know much happened to undermine his credibility as an investigator because he was shown to be corrupt and once a cop is shown to be corrupt all the cases that they normally hold also get blighted by the allegations that are normally leveled against an individual but op sharma's troubles was sanjay kapoor's opportunity sharma had made personal copies of the diaries and according to kapoor he was ready to share in august of 1991 blitz carried kapoor's report on its front page under its iconic brand name in red lettering the paper ran bold headlines like shady deals of top politicos and multi crore hawala racket blitz described how entries in the jain diaries alluded to corruption across party lines implicating members in the previous chandrashekar cabinet sitting ministers in the congress government and leaders in the opposition bjp it also informed the public of the cbi's own failure and the bribery case against the disgraced op sharma soon after the report came out Kapoor began receiving threatening phone calls from influential lawyers on behalf of the people allegedly named in the diaries. And according to Kapoor, the story which had created a huge stir in the establishment suddenly went quiet. So I was actually bewildered. I did not realize the full implication of how this is all pan out. After that, uh, you know, the whole matter from August I think it was August or September but thereafter the entire issue kind of disappeared from everywhere because no newspaper followed up and there was no television and there was no mad people chasing stories like you have now nothing really happened and uh, I moved on to other stories also no other major newspaper covered this story with the lack of media attention or action by law enforcement agencies the story fizzled out during this time the cbi continued its investigation into the terrorism funding case and they filed a charge sheet on march 23rd of 1992 it included charges against the hizbul mujahideen's operatives and people involved in the hawala network but the charge sheet left out any mention of the jain brothers their funding of political corruption through hawala or the raid conducted on the JK Jain residence except for one cryptic line buried deep in the document on paragraph 17 which stated i quote some others who figured during the course of the investigation of this case the others they were referring to were the jain brothers स्टोरी ये थी कि हर्षद मेहता ने स्टेट बैंक ऑफ इंडिया से 500 हंड्रेड क्रॉर्स लिए थे और ही वॉज नॉट इन अपोजिशन टू पेड बैक अमंथ आफ्टर द सी बी आई फाइल दैट चार्जशीट द कंट्रीज अटेंशन शिफ्टेड टू अनादर स्कैंडल हर्षद मेहता सिक्योरिटी स्कैम इवन मोर ड्रामेटिक इवेंट्स फॉलोड इन नाइनटीन नाइनटी थ्री कॉम्यूनल राइट स्टोर थ्रू बॉम्बे इंडिया कमर्शियल कैपिटल 
followed by multiple bomb blasts, including at the Bombay Stock Exchange. PV Narsimha Rao's Congress minority government, while trying to implement economic reforms, was plagued by accusations of corruption and cronyism. Through this time, the CBI continued to investigate the Jains in secret. Shantanu Sen, an ex-joint director of the CBI, who led the Hawala investigation briefly in 1993, tells us more about the CBI's pursuit of the Jains. In March 1993, investigation on the diaries had commenced, but the commencement was confidential and not reported to the press in any manner. The idea was to find out the source of these funds. Where was this money, the foreign exchange, coming in? Because if you look at the diaries, or I call them books of accounts, there are debit and credit entries. So the DIG of AC Anti-Corruption 2 was asked to follow up leads and try to find out the foreign sources of these funds which were coming to Mr. Jain. And then he was passing on to various persons, not only terrorists, but politicians of all hues, whether of the Congress, the BJP, the Janta Dal. They were all, their acronyms fitted their names were mentioned in the diary. On the surface, it appeared that the Jains had paid off powerful politicians, inside and outside the government, using illicit funds. The CBI would have to probe if the Jains were receiving favours in exchange for funneling this cash. By September of 1993, two of the Jain brothers were interrogated and their passports were seized. But the CBI was no closer to discovering where the Jains got their illicit foreign funds from and where those funds were going. The actual diaries themselves, that is, the people whose names appeared as initials, were not investigated. As these events unfolded behind the scenes, the press once again began to take an interest in the case. On August 23rd, the Hindi daily Jansatta reported on the diaries. Just a week after Jansatta's piece, high-profile lawyer and Rajya Sabha MP Ram Jethmalani wrote to the Prime Minister drawing his attention to a massive cover-up of the diaries by the CBI. A week later, Jethmalani stepped up the pressure by giving a press conference from his home. At this conference, he released a sensational expose on the diaries by Vineet Narayan, an investigative journalist who ran the video magazine Kal Chakra. ساکیتاسویرکارچکرینیتارائن At the age of 36, Narayan was a young journalist who had left Doordarshan to set up his own video news distribution service. Until the mid-1990s, 
Newspapers were the primary source of news for most Indians. But with the rapid spread of TV and video, Narayan had sensed an opportunity. Kal Chakra, which was mainly distributed on video cassettes through libraries, had previously broken stories on the exploitation of women and the adulteration of food. The reports were a catchy mix of interviews, animated sequences, and direct monologues to camera. Through Kal Chakra, Narayan, a serious kurta-clad presence, had broken free from the government-controlled broadcaster to do more independent, impactful journalism. And the Jain Havala diaries were everything a young investigative journalist could have hoped for. Murky fund transfers and a possible trail of corruption leading to the country's top political figures. Narayan tells us how he got hold of the diaries. I had a distant relation who was a cousin of Jain Brothers. Incidentally, his name was also S.K. Jain. He was an old man, 70-year-old man. So he convinced me to do this story because he felt that the story could either finish me off for my life, they'll kill me, or I'll become a global hero. I said, nobody risks life to become a global hero, but I accept the challenge, provided I get the evidence. Then he brought someone to my office and shared the documents with me. That's how I investigated the whole in my style of journalism, I don't trust somebody's plant story. If somebody gives me any document or evidence, I independently investigate. And that's what I did in this case. I went to each and every Havala accused politicians, bureaucrats, to ask in front of camera if they had accepted this money. And three people categorically accepted Devilal, Sharad Yadav, and separately Badanlal Khurana. <laughs> जो आप पूछ रहे हैं कि उन्होंने पैसा जो दिया तो जो डोनेशन है वो मामला तो पार्टियों के भीतर सब तरह से चलता है दैट वाज फॉर्मर डेप्यूटी प्राइम मिनिस्टर देवीलाल एंड जनता दल लीडर शरद यादव कन्फेसिंग ऑन कैमरा दीस कन्फेशंस शॉकिंग एज़ दे वर कंफर्मड दैट दोस इन पावर सो नथिंग रॉन्ग इन देयर डीलिंग्स विद द जेंस बट देयर वर अदर्स हु डिफरड Ram Jethmalani featured prominently in Narayan's report. Here he is discussing the incriminating nature of the diaries. Ab ye jo dastavez hain inke upar panchnama banaya gaya hai panchon ki ek ek safe pe unki dastkhat hai ye documents genuine hain agar documents genuine hain to kam se kam prima facie yani ho sakta hai ki aakhir begna sabit ho मगर मैं वकील की हैसियत में ये जरूर कह सकता हूं कि काफी सबूत है बूटा सिंह जाफर शरीफ कल्पनाथ राय बलराम जाकर वीसी शुक्ला अरुण नेहरू और आर के धवन और मेरे को तो पढ़ने में ये भी नजर आता है कि राजीव गांधी को भी पैसे मिले और ये एक हैरत अंगीज केस था जेंट्स को फौरन गिरफ्तार करना चाहिए था 
ये केस इनकम टैक्स में जाएगा तो 50 करोड़ टैक्स पड़ेगी उसके ऊपर ये केस फेरा में जाएगा तो सात बरस जेल की हवा खाएगा जेतमलानी एक्सप्लेन that the diaries implicated politicians such as former home minister Bhuta Singh Rajiv Gandhi's confidant Arun Nehru and former minister VC Shukla the CBI team had put their initials on the diaries which proved that they were indeed the documents seized in the raids this counted as sufficient evidence to investigate the names mentioned in them the public officials named here could face bribery charges under corruption laws and if convicted the jains could face up to a 7 year jail term for foreign exchange related offenses apart from the penalty under income tax narayan ended his report with a burning question with such explosive material why was the cbi not acting on these leads hum 28 august ki subah 10 baje pradhan mantri ke karyalay mein unke विशेष सचिव से मिलने गए और उनसे इस मामले में पूछताछ की उनकी बातों से ऐसा लगा कि प्रधानमंत्री इस मामले में या तो पूरी तरह जानकारी नहीं रखते या उन तक पूरी जानकारी पहुंचाई नहीं गई है लेकिन ये बड़े आश्चर्य की बात है कि इतना बड़ा मामला इतने बरसों तक सीबीआई की धूल खाता रहे और देश का प्रधानमंत्री उसको जानता ही ना हो दैट वॉज नारायण क्वेश्चनिंग द प्राइम मिनिस्टर बट वाई वॉज ही डूइंग दैट वेन द प्राइम मिनिस्टर वॉज नॉट डायरेक्टली नेम्ड इन द डायरीज Shantanu Sen explains Prime Minister is the cabinet minister in charge of the CBI the minister under the department of personal reports to him he is a minister of state so he is fully in charge of CBI and the director of CBI reports to him and no director of CBI has survived without the goodwill of the prime minister very early on in 1970 i remember i was a young officer in the cbi we had mr f v arul as director of cbi and he was removed immediately because he had disobeyed the prime minister's action in starting some investigation about corrupt legislatures in bihar so the prime minister has full control over the cbi through director of cbi it is up to the director of cbi to stand up to the prime minister and tell him where he can that it is the law which is superior to your director where the director cbi cannot say that and then the succumbing starts the cbi was created under the delhi special police establishment act of 1946 the act gave the central government administrative control over the agency including appointing the cbi director over time successive governments and especially prime ministers interpreted this power to control the agency's activities in his letter to the pm in august of 1993 jethmalani warned the government that he would approach the courts to seek action on the jain hawala diaries jethmalani would ultimately work with other members of the legal fraternity most notably anil divan to pursue a public interest litigation in the supreme court regarding these diaries the petition highlighting political corruption and the cbi's inaction was a first of its kind vocal opposition leaders 
led by Ram Jethmalani and LK Advani, stepped into the national spotlight and landed in the middle of the Jain Hawala scandal. This case eventually shaped the political future of India and laid the foundation for the judiciary to monitor the executive. We'll continue the story next week in part two of the Jain Hawala case on Friend of the Court, where we find out about hidden government documents and how this case shook Indian politics to the core. Until next time, I'm your host, Raghu Karnad. Friend of the Court is a project by the Anil Divan Foundation in partnership with the School of Law, Governance and Citizenship at Ambedkar University, Delhi. Thank you to our guests on this episode. Arun Kumar, Sanjay Kapoor, Shantanu Sen and Vineet Narayan. The team at Anil Divan Foundation and Ambedkar University, Delhi includes researcher and fact-checker Vipin Mittal, Researcher and scriptwriter Ramya Boddupalli. Script editor Bhavya Dore. Advisors Lawrence Liang, Ranveer Singh, Sham Divan, and Vivek Divan. Production by Made in India. <laughs>